welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with Lead Pastor John Buckley. And again, uh, just a reminder, if you have uh, your uh, phone and you want to follow along the outline, we'll have it on the screen. But we also, if you have the U version, if you go down to the more section and go to events and type in Upper Perk Community Church, uh, the passage and the outline are there as well. And those are up by like Friday of the week. And you're always welcome to kind of check that out ahead of time if you want to uh, get a, a bird's eye view of what's happening before Sunday. If you'll take your Bible with me and please turn First John chapter 2, or you can grab one of the Bibles in front of you and turn to page 1301, First John chapter 2, or page 1301, as today we're going to continue on in our back to, in, excuse me, in our series on First John. Today's message I've entitled Back to the Basics, First John 2, 1 to 6, or page 1301. Now, can you imagine being exiled? Now, now, some of you probably think, I would love to be exiled. I could be alone. Nobody would bother me. It would be a wonderful situation. But you really wouldn't like it on Patmos, which I'm not going to unpack about that island altogether right now. I'll do a little bit more second hour. But it's not a good situation to be at long term, and especially in the circumstances that John was in. Because John was evident in more than one situation, but you see it here in particular, he was a guy that was not only a disciple of Christ, but he deeply loved the people that God had put him as a spiritual father over. He was patient with them, he was kind to them, he cared deeply about them and wanted to impact them, and now he's exiled from them. He's put on that exiled island, we're told through history, not biblical history, but through other history, Polycarp and Josephus, that John had actually been boiled in oil and had survived it. Some stories said a number of folks got saved as a result of it. We, again, don't know that biblically, but historically. And since they couldn't kill him, they exiled him. And John spent the rest of his days away from the people that he loved most, and you can't even imagine, unless you're in that situation, the heartache that he had to have gone through during that time. But he was a, a gentle, caring father. I want to show you a quick video because this will give you a great example of what John was like. Frost in the cake. We doing? 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 Frost in the cake. What are you doing? Am I getting you? Ah, <laughs> uh, I would not have done it that long with my children. <laughs> I'm sure, I, in fact, there's probably plenty of stories where I didn't do it with my children. Fortunately, there are none of them are here today. Patience, kindness, care. 
And yet we see here, as John opens up chapter two, he also has kind of a dual statement here as we think about, first of all, John's mission. John had a mission. And so when he started out, I love what happens there as he says this in verse number one, my little children. Now the reason he said that is because he felt a spiritual fatherhood to these individuals. Now he knew many of them intimately, some of them he knew because of the churches that he'd been a part of helping to plant and nurture in Ephesus and other locations. But he also said little because it represented the fact that there was an immaturity there still. They weren't embracing some of the tenets of the faith and weren't firm in their foundation the way that John had hoped they would be at this point in time. So he also throws in there, not I care about you, but you're still little. And uh, me, I have four children, and so one of the biggest things I heard in my life from my youngest compared to what we said yes to my oldest is, why can't I do that? Chris gets to do everything, is what Andrew would often say. And that's frequently what happens in situations is it shows you the difference between a little child and a big one is the track record they have, the maturity that they have to be able to do certain things that the other ones can't yet do. And John had a mission, and that was that his mission was to see these individuals grow and own their faith. Now there's three main ideas I shared in the first message in 1 John. We saw in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that we are called to have fellowship with him. And we unpack that. I encourage you to listen to those messages when you get an opportunity. The second challenge is unveiled here. The third isn't unveiled for a few chapters, but the second one's unveiled here. So please follow with me. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So you may not sin. Now, if you're like me, when I first read that, I went, oh, wow, like, this is a really hard one that you may not, I mean, do you realize the flesh that I struggle with, God? Do you realize the humanity that's here, the struggles in the world, the way the devil wants to get me caught up in my situation? And, and I mean, really, to say that you want me not to sin, John would write that to these individuals? Was John off his rocker? Wasn't there other things he could say? And yet... Now think about this, how powerful it is because we as Christians can oftentimes get into a situation where we excuse sin, where we, where we kind of downplay sin, where we have justified sin, rather than realizing that sin is mainly and mostly a sin against God. And John wanted them to understand the way that that fractures our relationship with God and with others when we have a pattern and a lifestyle of sin. Now, he had already said in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 that he knew that there we were going to sin, and that's where he says what to do. When you do it, confess your sins, God will forgive you of it. He wasn't looking at the sinless message, hey, go out there and be sinless, but he did say we should be striving for sinlessness. Now, we all know, humanly speaking, we'll never get there, but we don't stop fighting the fight. We don't stop continuing to ask God to put people in my life that can love us enough to go, hey, John, that what you're doing is wrong. That we don't continue to allow the pages of Scripture to reveal in our hearts those areas where we sin. That we don't continue to pray that God would give me a teachability so that he points out those things. I won't just excuse it, but I'll embrace it, take responsibility for it, confess it, and make it right before God. And then work towards making sure those sins stay at bay in my life. 
See, because he had a message that Christ wanted to get out to everybody that we see here as we continue on. See, the mission that John had was to help them grow and own their faith, but the message for Christ that he wanted them to hear was that they not sin. But I love what it continues on because we see Christ's mercy as well. And it says as we go on in verse number two, I'm sorry, um, verse number one, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now the word advocate there in our language would be like a defense lawyer. Somebody that would go and would defend us saying this person is not responsible or they didn't do what you're saying that they do. Now Jesus was not only our defense attorney but he's actually the one that paid the cost for our sins. Now praise God that Jesus Christ was willing to come to this earth and be an advocate for you and for I that we could live a life striving to be sinless in our day-to-day ongoing life. But if we're gonna be in that situation, then we need to be very aware of the message of Christ, which is that we deal with the sins in our life so that we can be the person of God that he desired us to be. But I love that when Christ lays out, through John, the challenge that he always provides a way. He doesn't expect us to do it in our own power. Once you become a child of God, the Spirit of God lives in you. You have that power to be able to fight against this. He gives us the Word of God. He puts people around us. His mercy is amazing, folks. What we need to understand, though, in this is that we don't put lipstick on a pig, as the old saying is. You don't try to dress up your sins to think that they're better than somebody else's sins, or that our sins that, of the things that we don't do aren't just as bad as the sins of the things that we do do in our life. And when we recognize that, his mercy becomes all that much more sweet to us. He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now stop and consider that for a minute, that the righteous one sent Christ to die that we might have life. He showed us mercy when we deserve no mercy. Psalm 136, I wanna read a few verses from Psalm 136 tying into this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day for his mercy endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night for his mercy endures forever. We have a merciful God 
And when the devil whispers in your ear that you've gone too far in your sin or that you are too, um, too entrenched in your sin, remember from Psalm 136 the reminder that his mercy endures forever. He sent that advocate, that defense lawyer, attorney for you. But then we see not only Christ's mercy, but we see Christ's method. And we see in verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, that word propitiation is not meant to be a complicated word. It really means payment or satisfaction. So Christ became the payment to satisfy the cost that we incurred, the debt that we have, so that you and I might have eternal life. And it's not for ours only, but for all mankind, he says there. His method is that he sent his son to die on the cross so that you and I then can have eternal life. And if we come today, even, and recognize that we're a sinner that needs Christ to save us individually, you can be saved today. The second thing I want to talk to you about today is not only do I want to talk to you about Christ's message, but I also want to talk to you about Christ's measuring stick. His measuring stick. Now, I have a measuring stick. Some of you that might be in 12th grade and below might not know what this is. They call them rulers. Now, I will have to admit, I've used this mainly in my life to draw lines on paper and things like that, not so much to measure things. Um, I'm kind of a guest type guy, which is probably not what most builders want. In fact, if you knew I was going to build your house, you probably would would run away really quickly there for many reasons. But this measuring stick is a foot long. It's got one inch to 12 inches right on here. And this one to 12 inch, if you take this and you measure out whether you're gonna build a house or you're gonna make a boat or whatever it is and you need to get exact measurements, this will give you exactly 12 inches. Now, I do know enough about building that when it's not done right, a minimum, it's not gonna work right. I sat in a chair one time where one leg was a little shorter than the other three, and you kind of have you know, one of these wobbly type effects. And I asked the guy, he goes, yeah, you know what, I messed up on that leg, but it still works. A man after my own heart, probably. I definitely wouldn't want to hire a builder that said, well, you know what, I think the walls are even. I think the foundation's right. I think I got the roof angles the way they're supposed to be. I almost sound like a builder, don't I? Aren't you guys impressed with this? No, you want somebody that exactly knows what they're going to do. And Christ, he has a measuring stick for us. That measuring stick makes sure that there's no questions that need to be asked, that we are informed about what his standards are for you and I. So what do we see as that measuring stick as we read into verse number three? And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So one sign of me having a relationship with Jesus Christ is that I would be obedient or obedience. It's a sign of salvation if we obey his commandments. Not just some of them, but all of them. And I think all of us struggle in that category. There are certain sins that make me so angry when other people indulge in them, and then there's other sins that I like to go aren't so bad because they're the ones that I struggle in. Aren't we glad that I'm not the standard but that God is? And his standard is the same no matter what country we live in, no matter what our background is, no matter who I married, no matter what my kids are like, no matter what job I have, 
no matter what street I live on, his word is what we're called to be obedient to. Now, we'd think that would make this easy, wouldn't we? The standard's right here. But we are the master manipulators. As I said before, we think we're the exception. Well, I know, God, that most people can't, can't do that, but, but I can, God. But I know most people should be able to forgive their spouse, but I can't, God. And you know why? I think most people, and we can dot it in there, but not I. No, God says, you want to be measured according to my standard, then you need to be obedient to my commands. But then as we continue on, we see that there's integrity as a second standard. He says this in verse number uh, four. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, you can't say you're a follower of Christ and not obey him. Now, this isn't intended to be some legalistic statement that says, so if you ever sin, then you can never say that you're a child of God, you're lying. No, remember again, the measuring stick is obedience. The integrity is being counted on us as we strive to live that life of sinlessness. So when we have these besetting sins, we need to be looking for ways that we can allow the Spirit of God, the people of God, and the Word of God to help us break the chains of those besetting sins so we don't just write them off as, hey, I got these other areas down, but this one, I just can't do God. I just can't forgive that person. Then God's Word is right 100% or 0%. So what is it? So we can't say it's changes. So the integrity isn't the integrity of mankind because we don't have the right integrity. The integrity is being able to be integrity and having a life of integrity along the lines of obedience to the scriptures that God lays out. So what should we do? We should keep short accounts of sin, have people in our life that we allow to call us out on our sins, and then always be teachable. Do not... Do not be okay with your sin. Do not nurture your pet sins. It's not okay to treat your spouse poorly because they're treating you poorly. It's not okay to disobey your parents because they sin themselves also. It's not right to badmouth your employer because they don't run the company the way you think they should. It's not right to throw off the authority of the church because you don't like what God says in his word. You and I should have the integrity necessary to face our sin head on and strive for obedience. Now, look at what this continues on with this thought, though. There's a cool aspect to this. And as we go on, it says, the truth is not in him, but whoever does keep his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So as we have a life of integrity and obedience, guess what happens? God is able then to mature his love in us as the way we then love other people and reach out to them. The result is that maturing love. Then we have more endurance because of love. We have more grace because of love. We have more forgiveness because of love. Not our love, his love that can be matured in me as I'm willing to have integrity and obedience in what he calls me to do. 
But then we see a last thing underneath his measuring stick, and that's tenacity. Tenacity. And as we continue on, we're going to see in verse number five, or verse number six, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, interesting, that word tenacity, excuse me, that word abides, it means really to stick close to. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a little dog. Many of you have met Chloe. She's barked at you when you've come up to my house. Some of you love her, and probably some of you are annoyed. I'm annoyed right now because she's shedding crazily on everything that uh, she gets on. And Chloe is better now, but Chloe, when she was first a puppy, and if I'm gone for a while, she does the same thing. They, she's right next to me. I take a step, and she's there. And I'm scared to death I'm going to step on her. I'm not a small guy. I'm going to step on her and have no more Chloe, which would be a really bad thing. And there's been times I've heard the yelp of my dog as I've stepped on her, and I feel bad, and she feels bad. It's just not a good situation. And I try to tell Chloe in the best way I can to a dog who doesn't understand me, Chloe, just back off. You can stay near, but not that close, because there's danger for both of us. Sometimes we have children that are that way. They're like right here all the time, especially in new situations. They're like, and then they grab onto your leg even. It's like, okay, you're peeling them off, and you're going, I need a space here. Because I'm going to either step on you, sit on you, knock you over, or something, in fact, that happens at times. You're talking to somebody that right next to you. You take a step over, plump, over goes the child. Oh, sorry, you lift up the child. I really don't do this all the time. They're just too close. But when it comes to the Christian life, God wants us that close to him. I love the way Don Stubbs said it. Maybe he was quoting somebody else. But we walk so close to Christ that we actually have the dust of his sandals on us. And, and we need to have a life of tenacity. And guess what? When I stick with him, then it's going to be like when Elisha followed Elijah. And Elijah was getting to that point where God was going to call him home. And Elijah kept saying to Elisha, hey, Elisha, why don't you stop here and do this? And Elisha goes, hey, wherever you go, I'm going. Hey, Elijah, why don't you stop here because I'm going to go do this. Hey, wherever you go, I'm going to go. And Elisha, because of his tenacity, got to see God I can't even imagine this. Can you imagine standing out in a field and seeing a chariot of fire come down from heaven and pick somebody up and take off with them? Whoa. Elisha got to see that, and then he got a double portion of what Elijah got because he stuck with it. And God wants us to stick with him through thick and thin. And believe me, there's times when I go to God, are you crazy, God? Yes, I've actually said that. Lord, do you really know what you're doing this time? God, are you going to really let me hurt this way? And God says, stick by. But Lord, it's really dark up ahead. Stick by. But Lord, I really want to go out and have fun over there. And he says, stick by. Stick by. Abide. 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 And a sign, a measuring stick of our Christianity is to have tenacity. Abide in him And you ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And Elisha spent so much time with Elijah that when Elijah left, people thought Elisha was still Elijah. And folks, when it's all said and done, I want to walk so close to Christ that when people see my attitude and actions, they don't see John Buckley, they see Christ through me. Tenacity. I want to wrap things up. I have a few questions I encourage you to consider today. What's one way that you're going to live out what you've heard? 
See, when I study this, I have a lot more opportunity than the rest of you do as I try to dig in this because I know I'm held responsible to God for how I share the word of God. But as you are faced with this message today, something here, I guess, has stuck out and grabbed your attention. And I just want to encourage you, before you leave here, that you make a commitment to say, this is what I am going to do. If you really want to take it to another level, be willing to tell another brother and sister to help hold you accountable to whatever it is that you know you need to do so that this becomes part of the fabric of who you are, not just another message that you heard. So what's one message, one way that you're going to live out what you've heard? Secondly, what excuses are you wrestling with regarding obeying Christ? See, probably when I talked about sins and obedience, many of us had something pop into our mind that we're wrestling with if we're really gonna obey God in it. We're justifying it. We're excusing it. But can I ask you today, and believe me, it's for your own good, even though it doesn't feel like it, would you obey him in that area today? Would you take that step of faith? He's not let you down before, and he won't let you down now. What are you going to be obedient with, and what are you wrestling with? What's that excuse that's happening? And this is a question I've asked before in this passage, two weeks ago when I preached the first part, but I think it's so evident as we continue on this journey, and that's this. Who is Jesus really to you? Who is he really? Is he what you do Sunday morning? Is this your Jesus? I came to church, I feel better, I like the music, message was, eh, it was okay. And I'm gonna go on my way and I'm just gonna live another day because man, I punched my spiritual time clock. Thank you, that was my Jesus for the week. Is Jesus your day-to-day, in and out, praying to, being sensitive to the Spirit's leading, getting in the Word? Is he the fabric of who you are? Is he your genie in the lamp? that you pull out when you have problems and say, God, I need you now. I know I've kind of left you on and you're kind of dusty, but I really need you here, God. Who is Jesus really to you? Do you know him as your savior? Has there been a time that you've come and you've asked him to come into your life and to wash away your sins and save you? If not, why not make today your spiritual birthday? If you're a Christian and you've struggled with different things in your life, I encourage you today to see what that next step is, to know Jesus the way that he desires to be known in your life. You won't regret it. So I encourage you to consider those questions today. God makes it very easy. He spoke through John to write a letter then to you and I from the heart of a shepherd, the heart of a father, to be able to lay out very clearly to us what the expectations are. Now the question is, What will we do with it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy on my life and on our lives, God. I thank you for the lessons you already beat me up with as I went through this, Lord. And I pray that as we evaluate this, that first of all, we will be encouraged, Lord, because your mercy endures forever. And Lord, no matter how bad we've been, no matter how far we've gone, your mercy is still available for us. And I pray, Lord, as we consider what there might be in our life, areas that we're not having obedience, that we're not having tenacity, God, in our lives, that we're not being, (coughs) excuse me, Lord, the child of God you called us to be, we ask that you would help us to really evaluate what we've heard 
and apply it to our lives in real ways, God. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.